Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker, along with my co-host, Luke Benke. Today, we're talking artificial intelligence and the law. Today's stories of first, how will artificial intelligence affect law firm business models? According to a recent Law 360 analysis, AI could kill the billable hour model and firms may be unprepared for what happens next. After that, on the flip side, what happens if you try to use ChatGPT to write your next brief? A lawyer in New York recently found out the hard way that it may not be a great idea. As a result of that, a federal judge in Texas outright banned the use of AI for brief writing in his courtroom. And there's another law school admissions test in Arizona. And as our last bit, I'll leave you with some predictions and analysis of what the immediate future will hold for AI in the law. All that and more coming your way. Here's what you need to know. I'll start with the gloom and doom first. According to a recent analysis by Jonathan Cole, general counsel at Melody Capital Partners, the billable hour may go the way of the dinosaurs as the use of AI expands in the legal field. Writing in Law 360, Cole speculates about how AI might automate some of the grinding work that attorneys often bill their clients for by the hour. Quote, take, for example, document review for discovery or due diligence, which associates and clients both dread, but for different reasons. Algorithmic document review applications churn through many thousands of pages per hour and accurately identify key documents and provisions based on semantic searches, which means that the algorithm can determine the intent and the contextual meaning behind a search query, not just key terms or phrases. Indeed, studies have shown that a well-trained algorithm outperforms human reviewers in accurately identifying responsive and non-responsive documents in discovery and at a small fraction of the cost. Case Tech's co-counsel suite of GPT-4-powered applications can, among other things, quickly and accurately diligence documents, review contracts, research and draft legal memoranda, and prepare deposition questions, unquote. Personally, I think that's probably the easiest use case for AI in the legal profession. We already use boilerplates and to some extent algorithmic research. It makes total sense that AI would continue to make those processes more efficient. You can argue both sides, but I suspect AI will be incorporated into firm life sooner or later. Now, the piece gets interesting as it moves into the business modeling of law firms. Automating certain legal work like document review can and probably will reduce the amount of billable hours to go around. Here's an example from the piece. Quote, to illustrate the point, let's look at a not-so-imaginary invoice. The client is asked to trust that the six hours recorded by a junior lawyer each day for three days to, quote, attend researching and writing memorandum accurately captures the time spent and further accept that at the rate of $540 per hour, the invoice work for a first draft is worth $9,720. The AI legal assistant will be able to research and write a first draft of the memorandum in minutes at a fraction of the cost of a lawyer. Of course, the research will have to be checked and the draft memorandum reviewed and improved by a lawyer, but there is now a $9,720 hole in the law firm's income statement. How will law firms manage this erosion in revenues? Unquote. So yeah, that is a bit concerning. I bill by the hour and I don't do much document review these days, but there were definitely times, especially as a lower associate and as a, a young attorney, that many of my invoices were filled with doc review bills. Couple that with trends of reducing billing time for things like travel and in-person appearances with kind of the industry-wide shift to Zoom and uh, remote hearings. And there just may 
be less billable time to go around overall. The piece goes on to speculate how staffing and firms may shake out in this scenario. Quote, law firms could right-size the number of salaried lawyers and partners depending upon the number of attorneys to be laid off. This could be a tough choice because unlike businesses that sell products, labor, the billable hours of its attorneys, is the product. Law firms certainly cull the herd every year by pruning partners, firing the underperformers, and letting senior associates know that there will be no up, so they're out. The ranks are replenished with recruits fresh out of law school and lateral hires. But now that lawyers who in the past could earn their keep by grinding will have their billable hours reduced at the hands of AI legal assistance. If a law firm adopted AI technologies does not fire lawyers, will the salaried attorneys be able to meet their annual targets of, say, between 2,000 and 2,500 billable hours? There will be a revenue floor below which the continued deployment of a lawyer is not economic for the partners. Formerly salaried lawyers will join the gig economy as contract attorneys. Unquote. Yikes. Now, as we're going to see in the next story, AI's current state may not be advanced enough to really hurt lawyers. Uh, I think the jury's still out on that. But I think it's a fair prediction that over the next 10 years, the cost of knowledge in general and the cost of expertise will dramatically fall. And lawyers who operate on the billable hour, I mean, that's our product. That's what we sell. The time that it takes to apply our knowledge and our expertise to a client matter. Overall, I think law firms will probably get creative with pricing. Maybe we'll stop using the billable hour and move on to something else, whether it's a flat fee arrangement or something else. I don't know. But for now, if you're bullish on AI, you should also be thinking about what it means for knowledge professionals such as lawyers. Now, on the other hand, maybe we shouldn't worry about AI much at all, because as one poor lawyer in New York recently found out, he tried to rely on ChatGPT to write a brief for him, and it worked out pretty poorly. I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but it's easy to find if you want to. Anyways, personal injury lawsuit filed in the Southern District of New York uh, against a Colombian airline. The plaintiff's attorney apparently used ChatGPT to do some legal research to help respond to a motion to dismiss. Now, according to the affidavit filed by the plaintiff's lawyers, and I'll explain to you in a minute why there's an affidavit, quote, it was in consultation with the generative artificial intelligence website, ChatGPT, that your affiant, which is the lawyer, did locate and cite the following cases in the affirmation in opposition submitted, which this court has found to be non-existent. And then it goes on to list six cases. So this lawyer asked ChatGPT to find case law to cite in response to a motion to dismiss, and ChatGPT provided six completely fictional made-up cases, complete with blue book style citations and even fictional holdings and dicta. And this poor lawyer probably says, wow, I've been hearing about how cool and innovative this AI stuff is. It's really an amazing research tool. I'm so grateful that I was able to find these super useful cases so quickly. And they're completely fake. I mean, come on. The judge is considering sanctions against his attorney. And in response, they filed the affidavit that I just mentioned. Not only that, but get this. In an attachment to the affidavit, the lawyer provides a printout of another conversation with ChatGPT, wherein the lawyer asked ChatGPT whether the cases that were fake were bogus or not. And ChatGPT reassures the lawyer over and over again that the cases are, quote, real and can be found in reputable legal databases such as LexisNexis and Westlaw, unquote. So ChatGPT doubled down on these fake cases even when confronted. I don't know, man. I actually feel kind of bad for the lawyer who utilized this. I mean, you obviously have to read 
the case that you cite for a reason. But in any event, maybe we have a little while before we need to be worrying about AI stealing our jobs. All right, so if I'm not sure if this was directly in response to the New York fiasco, but a Texas judge in the Northern District of Texas recently amended his standing order to require attorneys that are appearing in his courtroom to certify that they did not use AI to draft any of their filings. And this order also brings up some other really interesting points that practitioners you know, should be thinking about. I'll quote from the standing order now. Quote, these platforms are incredibly powerful and have many uses in the law. Form divorces, discovery requests, suggest errors in documents, anticipated questions at oral argument. But legal briefing is not one of them. Here's why. These platforms in their current states are prone to hallucinations and bias. On hallucinations, they make stuff up, even quotes and citations. As an aside, that I think is clearly referring to the New York case. Going back to the order. Another issue is reliability or bias. While attorneys swear an oath to set aside their personal prejudices, bias, and beliefs to faithfully uphold the law and represent their clients, generative artificial intelligence is a product of programming devised by humans who did not have to swear such an oath. As such, these systems hold no allegiance to any client, the rule of law, or the laws and constitution of the United States, or as addressed above, the truth. Unbound by any sense of duty, honor, or justice, such programs act according to computer code rather than conviction, based on programming rather than principle. Any party believing a platform has the requisite accuracy and reliability for legal briefing may move for leave and explain why. I think that's really well put. The last part about how artificial intelligence have no allegiances to the client is just really interesting. Yeah, if an AI is actually drafting something, I mean, isn't that technically the practice of law. We covered some of the issues with this way back in uh, episode 35 when we talked about do not pay, which was a quote-unquote artificial intelligence robot lawyer, um, where we detailed those issues with AI lawyers practicing law. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more judges try and get ahead on this with their own standing orders. According to Reuters Legal, a law school entrance exam developed by the University of Arizona James E. Rogers College of Law has won approval from the American Bar Association, which means it can be used along with or in place of the traditional law school admissions test, LSAT as it's commonly known, and the GRE for law school admissions. There is a catch. The program, called JD Next, currently applies only to Arizona law applicants. Other schools evidently can request it, but Arizona law dean Mark Miller told Reuters that no other schools have taken that step yet. Interestingly, the University of Arizona in 2016 was the first law school to start using the GRE in law school admissions, along with the LSAT. Now, the purpose of JD Next, which includes an eight-week online course for prospective law students, is to give participants a taste of law school and gauge their ability to learn that material. It also uh, purportedly aims to capture participants' law school aptitude without reproducing the racial score disparities seen on other standardized tests. That's according to Dean Miller. A 2019 study of the LSAT found the average score for black test takers was 142, which is out of a possible 180, uh, compared with 153 for white and Asian test takers. 
Now, reducing score disparities will likely, if it hasn't already, become a priority for law schools should the U.S. Supreme Court rule this month that affirmative action in college admissions is unconstitutional. For its part, the Law School Admission Council, which produces the LSAT, said in a statement that its exam is, quote, empirically proven to be the single best predictor of law school success and is a powerful tool for diversity. It also added that its 2022 cohort of first-year law students was the most racially diverse on record. All right, here's another angle on this that I've been thinking of. I kind of went down my own rabbit hole on another technological leap that revolutionized how people advertise, which was the advent and widespread adoption of robocalls in the 1980s. Now, strict history of like what actually happened in the 80s is hard to find, but from what I can tell, the original practice of telemarketing changed in the 80s when callers could play pre-recorded messages to folks and numbers could be auto-dialed by computer programs to allow for mass call campaigns. That became easier, obviously, once computers became more widespread and affordable, which, you know, this was the 80s. It got so bad that in 1991, the government took action, and the Telephone Consumer Protection Act set a number of laws in an attempt to protect people from robocalls, made it illegal for companies or individuals to make pre-recorded robocalls with the intent of trying to sell you something, for example. However, automated messages by themselves are still legal and they're still quite prevalent. In 2019, it was estimated that about 50% of all calls placed were spam calls. So why am I bringing up robocalls? Well, I think there is really a lot of the practice of law that kind of boils down to letter writing, putting people on notice of things, things like demand letters, cease and desist letters. Generally, you need a lawyer for those things. But imagine mass campaigns of cease and desist letters or demand letters. Anyone could file a complaint anywhere for any time for any reason. It might be frivolous. It's going to get dismissed immediately. But there's no real roadblocks to filing one. So I am somewhat worried about that the biggest change we might see will be an uptick in spammy junk litigation. Things like slap suits or just frivolous lawsuits meant to intimidate and frustrate someone you don't like. Dumping mountains of discovery responses or requests to admit or subpoenas on an opponent, which, by the way, is already a legitimate and somewhat common tactic in certain cases now, just got a whole lot cheaper and faster and easier to do. Like it or not, I think that the prohibitive costs of legal services is probably the single biggest gatekeeping mechanism that we have against frivolous filings and abusive litigation practices. And if you take that away as generative AI seems like it could do, I do see a lot of potential for abuse. Not robocalls, but robo-cases, if you will. All right, everyone, that's the show. As you know, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. We publish every other Tuesday. And other than that, we'll talk to you in two weeks. 